when we act together will we have the courage to change our lives and the world around us. And this is why community is such an important aspect of our human experience. Welcome to the Community Heroes podcast, where we celebrate and share the stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. I'm your host, Catherine Mann. On this show, we share the stories of people using their skills, experiences, businesses, and involvement through sporting clubs and service organizations to enrich the lives of those around them. Community is so much more than the town you live in. It's a group of people that care about each other and feel they belong together. They are the people that support you when you need it the most. They're the ones who share the same ideas, interests and attributes that you do. Now let's hear from the heroes that are pioneering, changing and impacting their communities. Hello and welcome to the Community Heroes podcast. Today I have the man in the hat himself, Gareth Benson. Gareth is a thought leader in the future of education and future of work, including most recently advocating on behalf of international students and employability outcomes in Australia. Gareth has been appointed on a number of boards, including the Board of Directors for Meldrum Metropolitan College and the Executive Board member of Kangaroo Global. Gareth is also a barrister and solicitor for the Supreme Court of Victoria. He's a qualified commercial and intellectual property lawyer. He assists in the protection and commercialization of new ideas. He has a unique set of skill sets. He pulls together all of the experience and is so passionate about how education will shape the future of work and actively work with students and entrepreneurs in the gig economy. Welcome, Gareth. It's so exciting to have you here. Thank you so much, Kat. It's great to be here. I, um, uh, I love to love, love talking with passion about purpose and uh, can't wait to, to be part of the show. Yeah, beautiful. So, yeah, share a little bit more about you and what it is that you do. Like, I know everything you do is so varied. One thing I didn't sort of say in your bio as well is that you're also a keynote speaker and presenter uh, and, and you have such an entertaining way of you, how you uh, do it as well. <laughs> it's always it's always good fun with you. Thank you so much, Kat. Well, listen, Kat, I do wear a few hats. And um, I guess that for me is, is, you know, business and life and uh, education should be fun. And uh, for me, my story began back in Gippsland, country Victoria. And I guess I, um, uh, you know, I, uh, I had a, uh, I'm the son of a forester and, and my mum was an academic and, and somewhere I've fallen in between. You know, I grew up around a lot of nature and um and 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 like to keep grounded in in whatever i do and probably i like to keep moving and traveling and that's the best place to learn i find um yeah i i i think purpose is a very important driving force in anything that you do it's a subject of many conversations we've had um and you know just to start on a quote i guess they say in, in the journey of life when you're traveling through it, you know, travel so far until you find yourself. And uh, 
and certainly even though I've done a few things, I've, I've certainly found myself at the end of the day and very passionate now about helping other people find their thing. Yeah, you definitely are. And you pull a really different way of uh, expressing people and helping them to understand uh, how their education is important and follows through into their work life. But also, you know, be, by by doing that, by getting people to focus on their purpose path, that allows them to get into a work, a workforce and a career that they're more likely to have fulfillment and live a life of that's happy and passionate and they can be more contented through it as well. Yeah, well, that's absolutely right, Kat. I mean, um, I've come to the belief that, you know, purpose is paramount purpose in uh, in our work lives and indeed in education because that's probably more absent in education. We all, you know, I know it's your daughter's birthday today. Happy birthday, Amelia. But basically, you know, I reflect back and still only feels not that long ago that, you know, I was just falling through my educational experience and trying to find myself, find what really motivates. I think you know, when when we sort of grow up, so to speak, I, I don't think that ever ends. And so, you know, I think there's the real opportunity for us all in the changing world that we live in, you know, to actually um, put that first. And and um, and and I, I'm, I'm really um, really passionate about that in both future of education informing our working lives. Yeah, beautiful. What was it for you that sort of really took you? Not you haven't deviated from your path as a lawyer, barrister, and solicitor. You utilize that skill and that knowledge. Uh, I know still, but ha- like, what was the turning point when you realized that uh, I want to, I want to do this differently. I don't want to just be getting uh, patents and <laughs> and yeah. trademarks for people. I want to really help them solidify their passion and their ideas because, and and to make it a bit more, a bit more of a service or a bit more of a, a different way of doing it, really. Well, I'm going to say it was part of it was uh, this book actually, which I've got here. Um, on the screen, but um, it is called a book that was called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And this is, of course, the Community Heroes podcast. And um, I love the name and I remember our chats, you know, about it. I thought it was a great, great um, idea uh, because I, I um, even though I was trained as a, as a solicitor, I still had, you know, I had a, a, some, an itch that I needed to scratch. I, I wasn't completely satisfied despite all the study I did to get there, the age of 26, that this was it. And, in fact, I was mortified of it. I mean, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of, like, working so hard to get something and then realising it wasn't your gold. And that led into another seven years, another seven years in which I had to embark on a heroic journey to find myself, right? And that was why I was influenced by this book by Joseph Campbell. And there is a famous quote that some people may recall of Joseph Campbell's um, is that to follow your bliss. And um, he taught, he was a teacher um, he, for 38 years at St. Lawrence College in, in, uh, in the US. And he taught thousands of students over his lifetime. They would all come to him with questions and say, you know, what do you think I should do? 
And he would reply with one answer, and that answer was follow your bliss, which is is amazing. I love that. It's so simple. You know, it's just that thing that we know, it's that gut feeling. You know what your bliss is because it's that thing that makes you smile when you just don't want (laughs) to. Yeah, totally. Totally. And sometimes we, We've got, to, we've got to learn to trust ourselves in it. You know, he was also famous for saying um, the life that is uh, sometimes we need to leave the life we have created in order to find the one waiting for us. And yeah, I can absolutely wow. yeah, say that that was true for me because it did lead into a creative path and, and led into my first business. And, you know, that wasn't easy. It was a journey. It actually took me far away from Australia and into, uh, you know, into another world in a sense. And that's where I really found myself. Um, and, um, and, then and so that to, was your experience and your mm-hmm. adventure over in Dubai? Yeah, I went to the Middle East uh, for a time and I found my first business in Dubai. It was kind of <laughs> talk about, you know, going reaching into another world, the unknown, um, or on a few levels I was doing it. And, and I had... You know, it wasn't totally. Re- I mean, at that time, I was actually working for SBS Television, so I became a commercial and intellectual property lawyer. I worked in the firms, and then I, I worked in science and innovation at CSIRO, and then I ended up at SBS Television. And I loved working for them. That was probably the best job that I can proudly say that I had because it brought together my different interests. You know, I was in an area. I was negotiating contracts. Uh, for the content with international and national producers for the content which SBS produces. And um, and so it involved legal, it involved a high degree of engagement with the commission content team who were all filmmakers or television people, uh, the law department, the marketing department, and it was really about the human side of it too. We had to keep, keep the projects and negotiations together and deliver the projects. So, look, I loved it. And, and being uh, my itch, you know, bag and, you know, my creative itch was, was very much part of my identity. And, and so I, uh, I found it a really fulfilling place to work. But I also, I grew through it, right? And that's where I realised, okay, I know how the machine works. Now I want to go and do it. <laughs> that's yeah, what go I and make it your own gold. Your story always reminds me of, um, of the alchemist, uh, Paul. <laughs> Yeah, what's his? I can never say his last name properly. Cal Calaho Kelly. Uh, I can spell Cal- it, but I cannot. Polio Kelly. Yes, yeah. yes, that one. You, that's every time I talk to you. Yeah, your story always reminds me of uh, that journey. <laughs> I do love that story. Yeah, still, me too. Like to share a secret. I read that book on the way over, and and um, let me just say that I returned there ten years later. And I kind of felt like I'd lived in the spirit of the book because it's very much um, the story, for those who haven't read it, it's one of the most cherished books of uh, fiction um, that has been published in 42 different languages. But it's essentially about that story, that heroic journey of leaving the world that you've created to go find yourself. And and in the story, he kind of goes into... Um, you know, there's many different parts to it. But at the very end of the story, not to give it away, 
he finds his gold. You're going to have to read it. To you have to read it. it. Yes, yes, you definitely. It's definitely. It's on the list of what. Yeah, if you're listening to this, you have to read it. <laughs> and it's actually. It's such a beautiful book. It's one that you could read time and again because it's such mm. a short book. It's easy to read. It's mm. and it's just. It's a lot of fun. It's kind of like reading Harry Potter. It takes you away to another another dimension. But yeah, I yeah. love that. And so, what's um. You know, with what you're doing now, I know you're doing a lot of work with international students. How are you pulling all that together? Well, you know, I've been in education only in the last few years because for me it's pulled everything together, Um, you know, in terms of my work as a solicitor or intellectual property lawyer and then, you know, work in digital, like um, digital media. I, you know, started my, I left my old job to, you know, 10 years ago. I was only 11 years ago to start a digital media agency. I began lecturing in actual digital skills and digital um, uh, diploma of social media marketing, and now I lecture in law. The point is, is that I have now found a, a bridge there, which is a, a nice one for me. It's the bridge between education and work, and so I still love teaching. And I have um, my latest, latest venture is actually a, a social enterprise called Green and Gold Education which is uh, helping not only international students, domestic students as well, find their purpose and actually gain a meaningful job in the future economies, which are predominantly going to be digital. Um, so that's been my focus. Uh, and we've developed some apprenticeship programs which are designed to help um, the students of today find their work of tomorrow based around purpose. And uh, we very much believe in, the, in apprenticeships being a great model for that. It's about gaining a good sense of who you are, but then marrying that up um, with uh, you know, emerging areas of, of, uh, of economic growth. And um, these things come sometimes seem like opposites, but that's precisely the problem we're seeking to solve. Yeah, I mean, the brilliant. fact of the matter is that in the five, next 10 years, we're going to see an incredible, if not already this year, in the age of COVID, we are going to see more change uh, to our everyone's working lives. I mean, just the five areas of um, of economic growth of, of, of future future of work around the future of the work is digital media. It's here now. That's how you're you've become a producer cat in under six months, right? You know, thanks to the power of digital um, and uh, you know digital media. Uh, we've got augmented and virtual reality, both of these with 5G-enabled networks are going to be an incredible opportunity for young people to find uh, find a job in, in a new way. And and uh, uh, and then you're looking at blockchain. Look, as a lawyer, I'm very interested in blockchain. Blockchain technology is basically how lawyers could be disrupted and replaced, um, but there's so much more. It affects finance and currency. Um, you know, the future is going, is very exciting, I find, and I find that that is a, a, a heroic journey, an opportunity for everyone to really look at the disrupt or ignore the disruption that they're, they're falling through right now and to really think about creating their own future, knowing that there's going to be a lot more opportunity in there. I think that's a great and exciting challenge. Yeah, and I think I'm you're very- absolutely right. And, and I remember we were sort of chatting last year and we spoke about you know, the differences that were going to happen within the workplace and thinking that it was probably going to be five to 10 years off. Little did we know that within 12 months, 
everyone was going to be forced to do it, <laughs> to, to right. do that working from home, mm. to connect with. But it's it's been, it's an interesting time. And a lot of people say, oh, when we get back to normal, it's there's we're we're never going to be going back to the way things were we're going to grow from them and use that experience to be able to do things in a much much more different way and and digital connection it has been that so is that what have you found um helping your students and and fellow other business owners in their digital skills is something you've been uh, able to sort of do and help uh, a lot through the last sort of few months of COVID? Yeah, well, look, I, um, I'll share with you two parts to that. I mean, I, like most other business owners, have had to find a way through. And I look, I've just embraced digital delivery. Um, I was doing a lot of events and a lot of lecturing last year. Uh, I had to plan six weeks ahead for them or, or I was in the classroom, at, you know, an enormous uh, an hour of my time. It's two, three days a week over, um, you know, for the last three years. That had totally changed this year. Now I'm totally all presenting online. I'm running masterclasses in intellectual property. We're running a digital media uh, or, sorry, a digital entrepreneur summit on Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, which is about helping business owners. Um, you know, so, and what we're actually going to be doing there is actually inviting people onto the journey into just how to pivot their consultancy business in, in the age of COVID. So the answer is yes, Kat. I've just embraced digital delivery. I've run 10 webinars or masterclasses or boardrooms, you know, I've, not, I've experimented with the form and totally just moved from lecturing in the physical to now here in the four screens of the four walls and just, just just basically pivoted my skills in that way. And now I'm encouraging people to do the same. And the best thing that I love about how, how you have done it personally is, you know, before when you use, I've been to your live events and they were great. You would get really high quality speakers at your events and, and that hasn't changed uh, when you've moved it online. However, what's been really cool is you've been able to bring in your international contacts and you've been, I've been able to listen to, learn from and share with people that I never would have been able to before. Well, this is, this is the incredible opportunity, you know, is that all of a sudden I've found actually a model that works better. Um, first of all, you don't need the six-week lead, lead time to run an event. You only need 10 days. Second of all, you don't need all the time and preparation and catering and all, all the rest, you know, and secure a venue and all that. No. And third, yeah, you can invite international guests. We ran a, a, an international event, a panel event, uh, and we had the CEO of an organisation, uh, an educational organisation that's been around for 100 years based in Boston. The CEO um, spoke. And, and we had a guy from the UK, Dr. Professor Ger Graus, who's a oh, he was amazing. Yeah, he's and these people, you know, uh, you might struggle to get the time with. Um, but luckily, I met a girl at a conference in Dubai on, on my said return. Um, and then, uh, and he anyway, we did it and, and we did it quickly. And again, this digital entrepreneurs summit, we only began advertising on Monday. And we've been organising it for a little while, but I wouldn't say, you know, we've got over 150 people 
And that all just happened with the energy of this what's happened. So we've only used the form. We've been able to do it at a, a much less cost. We've been able to do, um, do it at much less time. And we've been able to just embrace the tools, you know, and, and give people what they need. And I think that's the opportunity in all of it. You've got to really keep your eyes and ears open for what people need. And it's yeah, changing. so true. Current climate, it's changing by the week. But if you can read that, then you can adjust. And we're all going to have to adjust. I mean, the simple fact is that not only are the 17 uh, to 25-year-olds are going to have a 17 jobs over over five different careers, guess what? So are all the rest of us as well. So, you know, you might as well get fluid to that change. And, and I'm just using those, you know, that as an, as an example of how digital has made it easier to take the skills that we've or have already had but then amplify the results. And I think there is the opportunity to do that if you use your digital tools wisely. Yeah, great. And so what do you think are going to be the biggest disruption or changes through, well, let's talk firstly education and then I'd like to hear secondly your uh, thoughts on uh, in the workplace and the future of work. Great. Excellent. So you want to start with education. What is the future of education? Well, because we've been talking about COVID, it's going to be, I think it's going to be recognised um, in history that this was the time that the uh, uh, centuries-old education system was finally uh, the uh, foundations were shaken to its core. And actually, um, I think you, if you look at what's happening within higher education and vocational, it's actually crumbling. And that sounds disastrous, but it needed to. Um, the universities will survive and schools will survive and and it'll but it's going to look different and it had to change the reason being is um and is I, i'm just going to tell you one quick story on this because it, it greatly informs both you know the history of education and uh industry and work and why it needed to change and that's um that's really about the production line I mean, our education system was inherited by the Prussians, right? And it was around the time of the Second Industrial Revolution where forestries, farms and fishing was the predominant vocation of the day. With the innovation and the, grad, you know, electricity and the steam engine, these things created things as the production line, right? And that began how, uh, in some ways, the factories began the Industrial Revolution known as... Um, yeah, very much known as the second industrial revolution because it's where where people move from country to city. And in that, our education system was born, right? Because the schools of the day were actually preparing people for the jobs of tomorrow. In those days, they were. Because if you think about the whistles and the bells that still chime in our classrooms and the moving around from one room to another for a class, not staying in the same room everyone used to move, it was all reflective of kind of the factory mentality. And it was. It was created. They used to put, if you went, the Brunswick Business Incubator, which is where our um, uh, engineering growth education is based was one of those schools it was a technical school you went there to get a trade in Brunswick right you were taught sign writing or you were taught metalwork or carpentry or you were taught you know how to bake bricks and then you were let out of the school and got a job across the road at the Brunswick 
that you stayed and you worked at until you were able to retire. That's absolutely right. And you know, the innovation of the day was porcelain. <laughs> the Brunswick pottery <laughs> works was you were a luxury item that only a few people could afford. That's when you could move outside from the back door loop inside and have a beautiful basin. And you know, that was only 110 years ago. Okay. Wow. Fast forward today. That's why education needs to change, okay? Because the production line has been disrupted forever. When we moved from second industrial revolution to third with the age of computing, you know, the greatest symbol of this, I think, is actually the, um, uh, the actual Apollo moon. I mean, it was during this year, of the, these years of the 60s, technology advanced to such a stage that it allowed man and woman to help them leap towards the moon. And then what happened from that is you had the age of, you know, computing began. Now it's slowly been developing ever since, and um, and our schools haven't, unfortunately. Um, and it's really um, there's this one theory called Moore's law, and Moore was a big believer in that technology. Every you know advances doubles uh, in every year, every year, you know. And it has this cumulative effect. So we saw the changes slowly. Computers used to be the size of a room. Now they're the size of our pocket. Our phones. Greater engine uh, that can that than what was on the uh, Apollo uh, space capsules. The point is, is Moore's law has advanced to such a degree, and it has happened under our nose, but our education system hasn't, and it's not truly now preparing people for the future of work let alone allowing us to grow as human beings and find our purpose, find out who we are. And so that when I kind of put all that together, and it's really about acknowledging that we are in and have been for the last 27 years in a fourth industrial revolution, you know, there is, is a, and started with a small thing called the information superhighway or the internet, right? That's when we worked into the fourth. But our education system now is really lag, is, a, is the lagger, right? Yeah, sure. And so I'm very aware of that. And it's the so the other thing that, mm-hmm. yeah, one of, one of the things that's been, I suppose, for me, which has been interesting is, is also, you know, having a daughter that's uh, going to the end, sort of at the sort of final end of her schooling, even from last year, so she was in year nine, if it's just that push of, oh, you need to decide what you're going to do now for the rest of your life, you know. And and these like, you know, these sort of that pressure on her was causing a lot of um a lot of anxiety and a lot of angst, you know. She's like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, you know. And I'm like, no, it's okay. You don't need to know. You know, they're, what they're telling you is so out of date that <laughs> it doesn't matter. You know, you go do whatever it is that you want to do, study what you want to, and work it out later because it's an, at the end of the day, your high school, you're not finished. It's not the last of your education. It's really the first chapter of it. And you can now do so many different levels of education. So I hope to see that there in, in sort of the next sort of few years that the teachers catch up as well. Mm. Just the yeah. way they approach it. 
Well, that's it. You know, like who are the teachers? It's a very good uh, question for the future of education. Because if you look at it, and no disrespect to them, because, um, you know, I believe we are all our teachers. I believe we all are. We teach each other. We share experiences. We compare we, we just compare stories along our, you know, on our journeys and that's where we find our truth. And I, and I feel that education is now absolutely a lifelong pursuit if it wasn't already. I mean, and, and, um, and I just think, yeah, well, the way I try and look at it all, I, I go back to the hero's journey and say it's a great adventure. You'll never stop learning. And, you know, the uncertainty is kind of exciting. Uh, to, to, it's what should drive you forward. It's to, to actually be more human and more curious about things and to, to adapt and change, and that can be fun. You know, there's some great psychology around, you know, we actually grow when we're challenged 10 to, in a, in a, in 10 to 15%. Anything more than that, we get overwhelmed. And can, it That's can a really tangible way to put it. I like that. And you're right, it's, it's putting ourselves into that uncomfortableness, but we have to still keep our at that place of where it's uncomfortable, but it's yeah. not too far that we're going to just, you know, not do it or hide away or continue going with it. Yeah, yeah. I like totally. that. I reflected on uh, Steve Jobs' um, famous quote from his commencement speech um, of the school that he left. I think he left the school, right? He left Harvard or something. And he goes, stay hungry, be foolish. And what is hungry? Hungry is actually being in a little bit uncomfortable and you're taking a little bit risk averse, you know, and to stay that. The fact that you emphasise the word stay is that I think that people can get comfortable. They think they've made it and they're only halfway up the mountain, you know, yeah. and they never pursue that through, you know, as whether you're 20 to 30 to 40s, you know, um, I feel that a lot of people start the journey but they never finish it. I know this, I, yeah, it's a little bit of like, I know this is a bit, of, a bit off topic, but where do you think we changed? You know, our, our ancestors. You know, they used to. They used to be so. You know, they would. They stay in the same job for for fifty years, and that was just how they did things. And now, we just don't accept that as as our reality. Where do you think that that perception of life changed? That that was an okay well, thing to be able to do. Depends what you've lived through. I mean, there was great disruption happening in other areas. You know. 50, 60, 70 years. I mean, look, 100 years ago, they just got over World War One. They went into a pandemic, right? <laughs> and then they went into a roaring 20s, which only lasted 20 years, and then they were in the Depression. You know, the, the, yeah. the, the ground was moving underneath them, so they probably didn't have the luxury to actually even think about the purpose. They were thinking about survival, and that's very much the mentality of the baby boomers, I feel, is that they survived great things and then they were just happy with a home, a job for life, a couple of kids and, you know, and a barbecue, you know, and, and, and that, that's fine. But what I'm finding in young people today is that they're very much more aware and they, they haven't lived through too many crises, but they've got a social conscience and it's a different generation. Do you think and a I, lot of that's from being able to see and be connected with people in such a massive way that we are these days? Yeah, and I just don't think we can compare it all. It's just different, right? Yeah, it's cool. And, and, and we need to acknowledge that there's just it's going to change and change and change and change again. 
And that's a place to find yourself, I believe. Or because, do you know what, you can't get comfortable. We're going to be forced to, to do that. So you might as well just build a bridge and get over it. <laughs> <laughs> and so what do you think are going to be some of the biggest disruptions over the next sort of five to ten years? And I know this is a big, big thing because everything's moving so much yeah. as we've just spoken about, but where do you see the biggest disruptions or progressions within okay. industries? I think I think it's going to be the future uh, and uh, the future is going to be about heads and hearts and not hands. Jobs that hands are going to disappear. Technology is going to replace them, right? So that means you know any administrative jobs. I feel that you know traditional jobs that people used to do just purely manual labour, for example, or to, even to go as far as to say even driving. You know those kind. Of You've got Teslas. You don't even have to do that now. The technology is going to be like that. Now, and most some people say, oh, they'll be up in arms in it. But actually, research also shows that we will need humans to help people get through that and, and to actually make conscious decisions. Remember, a machine is not a conscious entity at this point. And it's simply a tool, right? Our phones are a tool. It's a business tool. We're using it right now. And it's, it's they're simply tools. And I need humans and people and conscious people to be able to navigate with those tools. And that's where the opportunity is going to lie. It's actually going to be more human. And, yes, there's going to be technical skills, but the research points towards soft skills, which I like to call enterprise skills, are being the most important thing. Because to, and to be enterprising just means you're resourceful and means you look at the change, and you make enterprising decisions. It's exciting. The Starship Enterprise was an exciting, <laughs> would have been an exciting place to live if it, well, we're going, yeah, I believe. And, and I think that that really points to our skill sets, and that's the biggest change we're going to see. It's just shifting skill sets. And guess what? Communication, empathy, the opportunity to be leadership skills, um, to, uh, you know, and to be creative. And guess what? Creativity is not new. It's probably been, let's not go back into education, but creativity is an innate human skill. A three-year-old has it, a five-year-old has it, and even a 35-year-old still has it. So my, actually the future of work is human, and I think the changes that we're going to see is a removal of manual, manual tasks and we're simply going to be replaced with great opportunities in human tasks. Beautiful. I like that. That's going to be an exciting future. And I know um, you've been working, well, pre-COVID, uh, but towards the end of the last year and as well as the start of this year, you've been working with a group up in the Northern Territory. <laughs> Can you share yeah. a little bit about it? Because I think this is super interesting. Yeah, well, I did some speaking in Darwin um, with John Tui's Chambers, and that was with uh, Barrister Patrick McIntyre. And last year I ran a session uh, on intellectual property around Indigenous uh, copyright. Uh, it was actually about who should own the Aboriginal flag because it's, uh, it was a story, you know, it's really a question of copyright. Who should own? symbols of our national identity because it does point towards um, 
copyright and ownership of copyright. So, yeah, I'm very, uh, I, I like Darwin. Darwin's an exciting place to work uh, and live um, because it's a frontier and there's a lot of interesting things that happen in Darwin. I mean, I came, grew up in country. I know you're in uh, Bendigo around the area and I, and I find that um, there's this exciting energy in Darwin which is around possibility. Um, and uh, because it's always been part of the frontier, it's a little feels halfway between Asia and Australia. It's very multicultural, but also there's a lot of people up here in a lot of different pursuits giving things a go, and, and I think that's really a positive mentality, yeah, and so I've been invited to join John Tui's chambers and do some work in Darwin, um, which I'm very excited about the prospect of because... Yeah, one, I think it um, would be interesting, but also working with uh, the Indigenous is, is something that's, that's interesting because we've inherited two different worlds. Uh, we've created one world and there is another world waiting for us, I believe, as Australians to find, and the Territory is the place to find it. Um, that's beautiful. So, yeah. I love that. Mm. So, yeah, yeah no, awesome. I think it's... Yeah, it's uh, I've been honoured to, to be invited to do that. and uh, But, you know, I think um, I, I made, um, back in the SBS days, I had this idea for a um, documentary, which is called uh, The Message Sticks, The New Millennium. That was what it was called. Because I looked at the Indigenous use of message sticks, which for anyone who doesn't know, it's like how they used to communicate between tribes. They would spend, the chief of a tribe would spend mm, days or months on working on the um, working on uh, a message, like they were announcing an engagement, they were announcing a um, a birthday or a, you know a significant event, or maybe they needed to form a contract between tribes. So they would inscribe it on a wooden on a wooden stick, which is called a message stick, and then the messenger would then go to the next tribe. And the thing about message sticks is they play music as well as they tell stories. And it's really incredible. the point I'm coming to is that's that what the iPhone does. In the early days, it just played music. It was an iPod. And then it became an iPhone. And you could use it to, to you know, make messages. The point I'm making is that the message sticks for the new millennium is that that was old technology, new technology. It's not too different. We are using iPhones now to play music and to communicate. What we need to be conscious of is the stories that we tell them. And so, you know, I, I, I share that story because I think there's a lot of wisdom that we can gain from not only the Indigenous but from any, any of our past stories. And, uh, and that, that's probably one of the greatest things that can guide us in times of change. You know, we are condemned to repeat um, uh, our lessons of the past unless, unless we truly understand them, you know, experience them. But we can learn a lot from history uh, and realise that we're just, nothing is new. We just, life is always changing and it's always changed. From I think you, you hit on a, a good point there is, you know, nothing's new and, and it is, it's, it's looking at our past history and this goes for us internally as well, our, on our personal but as well as as a country and we can look and reflect and go what did work and what, do, what didn't, you know. We need to know that collaboration and connection and communication are the keys to create, mm. you know, a happy, healthy, sustainable world and country so 
you know, if they could embrace those really simple little values, I think there there would have been as high a level of angst in some areas, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot to learn. We, there's a lot we could learn. Yeah. I mean, the, the other big crisis of the year <laughs> was bushfires. But, you know, the Indigenous have been in cultural burning for a long time. My dad's a forester and he sort of agreed with the fact that the, the reason we ended up with bushfires is that we just start, didn't remove the growth. But that's a big part of what uh, Indigenous do and, you know, their love of story, story are education tools for them uh, and they should be for us because education tools, um, yeah, are not new and the power of story is, is, is a really, uh, really important thing in, in, their, in their generation and I think they can serve us in the future too. Yeah, for sure. There's one favourite story. Can I tell you a quick story about For the, sure, um, of course. This is one, one story that I found from um, actually visiting the Tiwi Islands. Um, and uh, Tristan Mungatobi, who, um, uh, who, who, who was very kind to actually introduce me to the Indigenous elders of the island, uh, while I was waiting for them, I actually discovered the story and they, they kind of shared it with me as well. And I was like fascinated by it because I think there's a lot of lessons. Not many people know it, but it, this is the story of the crocodile man. And the crocodile man was said to be have come from uh, the Tiwi Islands. And the story goes that one day there was, uh, there was a man that was separated from the tribe and he found a piece of, piece of land by the beach. And he so liked that piece of land that he said, I'm going to own it. And so he claimed ownership of it. And he was sitting there and said, I'm just going to sit here on the beach and enjoy my piece of land by this beautiful view in the Tiwi Islands. And the rest of the tribe got disgruntled because this man would just sit there all alone and he wouldn't let anyone else share his land. And so the tribe become, eventually became really disgruntled with him because he was separated from the tribe and he wasn't doing it with, with the rest of the community. And he was really putting his needs over the rest of the community. And so there were storms, there was one stormy night Lightning was, was striking and the, and the tribe got really upset and they said, well, this is not how we conduct ourselves in this tribe. And then amongst the th thunderbolts and lightning, they started throwing spears at the man who was exposed outside of you know, the tribe, exposed in, in the elements and exposed by his piece of land. And as he ran into the sea, uh, discarded from his tribe for being selfish, his blood led into and tears led into the rivers of blood, and he turned into the crocodile. And that's what they tie our crocodiles up here north. Someone yeah, who's selfish who removes themselves from the tribes and puts their needs above the rest of the tribe. And that's the story they tell their kids about yeah, the importance the of belonging to a community. Mm, isn't that beautiful? Like, okay, in a weird, you know, some interesting way. I love it's the, how they well, do it through stories and it is, it's, yeah. it's highlighting the importance of that connection through which Well, as a people. child, yeah, you're never going to, when every time you see a crocodile, that's how you're reminded and that's how they teach their kids. Yeah, yeah, make sure you connect in. Beautiful. <laughs> What, so on a big no, picture. No, you're in the Tiwis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they say that, no, you know, don't give me any croc. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, oh, I haven't been up there, so it'd be interesting to go visit. 
Oh, yeah, they've got their incredible love, hate, fascination with crocodiles up here. They end up on the, on the um, NT News. Yeah. And, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. <laughs> We're part of our country, our beautiful country. So in a big uh, Gareth vision and in your dreams, what is it that you hope to see for the future personally as well as for the world on a larger scale? Well, I mean, I think we started um, this around something that I think is the most important thing. Uh, it's around purpose, living life on purpose. What I see for the world is I, I just wish to see people more living on their own personal purpose and being brave enough in their own lives to go and find it, which is what I love and will encourage everyone, anyone to go on a great adventure. Um, where it is doesn't necessarily matter, but that's where I think you'll find it, um, you know, and, and I, I really believe, I truly believe that if more people were working on purpose, then they will self-actualise in a way that they will be more happier um, in their lives and their relationships and the work that they're doing and the way that they raise their kids and the way that they interact with other human beings. And I think that we actually need people to be working with that to solve for challenges that are going to, we're destined to encounter in the next 10 years. Yeah, great. Yes, yeah, I think gone are the days that you just follow in your parents' footsteps and, you know, just go along on their journey and their path and do, you know, go into their work workforce. And, and as much as, you know, you want to see that change, it's interesting to see just how many parents still try to encourage their children to follow in their footsteps you know, and I love it. Amelia would go, I don't ever want to be like you. I'm like, great, because I don't want you to be like me. You know, I want you to do you. I want you to be who you are, you know. <laughs> and, but she's got this in her head that she's like, oh, it's like I thought you wanted me to be like you. And I'm like, no, not at all, you know. And I, and I just hope every every parent turns around to their kid and says that. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's an interesting reflection. I mean, Carl Hilgebrand wrote a great book called The Prophet, which is another nice um, nice short book to read, actually. And there, there's an interesting chapter in there about children. Uh, and it's kind of advice to parents, I guess. It says your children, uh, your, you, you, you are the bow and your children are the arrows. And you, you know, be... Um, Allow them to to be themselves, basically. You know, uh, you will never own them. <laughs> you can learn from them, but you oh, will yeah. never own them. And so, therefore, you know, you know, allow them to be the people they are destined to be, and shoot forth. You, you are simply the bow. And I think that's just a, such a strong message for anyone uh, in life. You know, the last, the worst advice in the world. <laughs> is be like me because <laughs> if you were more like you and I was more like me, then the best of friends we can be because we're truly being ourselves. Uh, and, and sometimes the people that say be like me have the worst advice in the world because they don't know who they are. Yeah, that's so true. And, you know, I suppose I want to touch on that's something that I really do love and admire about you is, yes, you do, you are passionate. You, we talk a lot about kids and education from a young point of view, but really it's the finding your purpose path and being able to be the student of life. There's no age 
bracket on that. You can do and achieve and go back and learn and um, change and adapt at any point in your life. You know, we are all, we all can be and, and change what we want to do and, and go on to live and, and be happier and uh, in our, you know, whether it be work or, or personal, whatever it want to, want to be. So, yeah, I love that you kind of help and inspire people on that too. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, on the journey of life, you know, and, and, and education has been a big part of it and I've learned in many different ways. But, yeah, I mean, the thing that I actually realised, as T.S. Eliot says, is that you, you, travel, uh, you travel through life um, and you return to the same place to to see see things with fresh eyes. And many times that the ability to see it through the eyes of a child allows you to never get too caught up in ego, so to speak. And you can be playful and you can have fun and you can you can see things because if you don't take yourself seriously or the world too seriously, then you can create whatever possibility you wish. And I believe that. And I believe that that's what, you know, really good for any, you can learn anything from anyone at any stage if you're open to it. And that's yeah, great. Thing. And I'm so sure true. you being a parent, you've learned a lot through kids. Not that I had had kids, but the thing is I'm connected to young people and, I, and I'm always fascinated because perhaps you know, I don't have the strict rules that a parent must have with kids because I feel, uh, I just feel that, that, that um, you know, also through creativity is that, you know, you can have a, a playful, a childlike um, appreciation of the world and that's, that's where you can create great things as well. You know, you yeah, cool. And so, so you, uh, you mentioned earlier about your Digital Entrepreneur Summit that's happening on Tuesday. So what's the date oh, yeah. for that? Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, if you happen to be listening to this, um, it's on August the 11th. It's from August 3 to 5 p.m. Um, and it's actually for business coaches, consultants, entrepreneurs, those that are currently running uh, a business and want to find a bridge uh, towards how they can use uh, digital uh, to to actually not only survive but thrive during this COVID year that we're having, and so we've actually got three outstanding, uh, we've actually got five outstanding speakers. Um, you know, Andrew Morello from the Entourage, uh, who was uh, 2009 Apprentice winner, um, speaking about uh, business development. Ozzy Khan, who's uh, a um, a professional skydiver who also built and um, sold Skydive Melbourne and now working with international communities in social development Um, and talking about growth mindset. We've got Zarina Robertson, who is uh, an artist, an entrepreneur and a uh, photographer and filmmaker uh, who's talking about the art of standing out during COVID. So we've got these inspiring business people who who are actually all giving their time to actually offer some words of advice, and that's on Tuesday from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. But, um, yeah, how can, so they, how can people that. find tickets for that? Well, yeah, I mean, I might even, if this gets published, I might even put a link below. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. I'll, that that's I'll an easy way to do it. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, show notes. And we've got an event right. We can just ask for a piece of free event, and we're looking forward to Yeah, really 
just um, celebrating uh, some of the opportunities that we have available um, by embracing the digital tools available to us um, to, yeah, to get through this period. And, Good of course, you. to do that with a great spirit of community. Yeah, you know, beautiful. It's about helping each other out. And we can do that digitally no matter where we are. And that's the liberation that these tools give us. I think that's been the greatest um, thing that I've seen so far is just, yeah, how communities have changed from just the town that we live in into having such a broad, wide range of, of people that we're connected with. And so with uh, with you personally, how can people connect with you, whether it be so green and gold or IP? You can write me a, a message stick in digital and you can have it sent by a tribes person. <laughs> <laughs> that is the best. That would be pretty cool. That would that be, would really, be cool. really cool. Yeah. That would be very, I'd be very impressed. But um, in the meantime, while well, I'm waiting for the message stick, <laughs> yeah, um, LinkedIn or Facebook, I, I use them quite a lot. Um, yeah, LinkedIn.com slash Gareth Benson. I think you'll find my LinkedIn, my professional profile, but I also use Facebook quite a lot. Uh, for those purposes, because I love the sharing of stories and content um, as well. So, yeah. Thank you so much. And and I really encourage anybody that's listening that may not feel as fulfilled or think that they can serve others and themselves better to, to reach out to Gareth because he's been instrumental for me in helping me understand and find my purpose path. He was probably the first person I shared my dream about starting this podcast. Oh, so look at me now. <laughs> look at me now. <laughs> this is, no, so we get there. <laughs> yeah, look at it. So, you know, it's always been a, yeah, he's just a good person. He will connect you with so easily and freely with his network and well, I've, he's I've, a great person yeah. for that. I've got an offer, you know, if anyone does reach me and ask me um, to, about their purpose, I will give them a 10-minute basically magic, uh, magic uh, why um, I've got something I've called, created called the Golden Equation. It only takes 10 minutes to do. And I will do that online with you using the digital tools and I'll help you identify your purpose. It's a bit of a magic show, but we can do it together. And I love sharing that um, with everyone, as I did even with uh, <laughs> Bailey and, well, your You did it with all of us. You did, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, well. uh, yeah, you did. <laughs> you did. It, we, Gareth came That's and stayed right. with us last year and he did it with both of my girls and um, me. And, you managed and, a couple of days of well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, getting kicked, your ass kicked by the five-year-old. It's always Yeah, fun. that's right, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Gareth. It's been an absolute pleasure. No problems at all. Keep fighting for your purpose and it's a pleasure to assist. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for joining us and I hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to hear more stories of awesome everyday people helping their communities, then make sure you subscribe to this show. Also, if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, please reach out to me via email at communityheroespodcast at gmail.com or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram just by searching Community Heroes Podcast. Also, you can connect with me personally on LinkedIn by searching Catherine Mahn, that's C-A-T-H-R-Y-N-M-A-H-O-N. I hope to hear from you soon.